You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, May 1st, 2023. Later in the program, we hear Big Talk host Michael Glab speak with all three of the candidates running for mayor of Bloomington. More in today's feature report. What we need is caring people who are willing to stand up in those court proceedings to speak as the voice of the child. That can often make the difference. That's Dan Cates from Court Appointed Special Advocates, also known as CASA. Right now, there is an urgent need for volunteers to stand up for kids who are going through the justice system due to abuse or neglect. CASA has a training this month that will teach you how to do it. More on that later in the show on a new episode of Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in the community. But first, your local headlines. During the April 25th meeting of the Bloomington Board of Parks Commissioners, during public comment, Representatives from the Bloomington Football Club and the Monroe County Senior Baseball League Association shared their concerns with the board. Parent and member of the Bloomington Football Club, Kathleen Field, urged the board to increase the city's access to soccer fields. Uh, In order to facilitate a healthy and strong working relationship with the Parks Department, BFC has formed a parent committee that is taking the lead in... um, like partnership negotiations and just normalizing that relationship. Um, we're, you're going to hear from a number of BFC parents today about some concerns and issues. Um, but our first request on behalf of the BFC Parent Committee and uh, is to ask the Parks Board respectfully to direct the Parks Department to form a committee for the purpose of Um, improving access to soccer fields in the city, specifically to try to get um, permanent outdoor soccer fields in the city established. And we'd like to work cooperatively with the Parks Department and to have a seat at that table. So we're asking that you that you use your um, uh, authority to uh, form this committee so that we can get started to improve opportunities and access for soccer. Our club has currently about 260 members um, and there's more interest, but there's just not space in the city. And soccer, you know, is the world sport. Uh, You don't need a lot of equipment. There's not a high barrier to entry. And unfortunately, we just lack the facilities and we want to help improve the city of Bloomington by increasing um, access to soccer fields within our community. Um, let's, our, uh, as you understand from the two partnership agreements that we've discussed uh, in the last month and this month, uh, there are some issues and some points of negotiation. We would like to work with the Parks Department, and that's what, part of why the parent committee was formed, to make playing soccer easier, both for our constituents and our community as a whole. Thank you. Thank you. Parent Richard Field said he's concerned about plans to convert Field 6 at Winslow Sports Complex to a soccer field. Hi, my name is Richard Field. No relation that I'm aware of to Kathleen. Um, 
I have two children who have played baseball at Winslow over the last nine years, including on field six over at Winslow Field the last couple of years. Um, just so you're clear, I have nothing against soccer. I'm not going to speak negatively about soccer as a sport or anything like that. I have friends with children who play soccer. Hi, Venus. Um, <laughs> I would like to point out that uh, I have seen a, a BFC proposal floating around emails um, about converting field six at Winslow to soccer only. Um, and they're, they're going to ask for a vote next month on that, which is not a lot of time for the senior league to prepare. Um, and any exploratory committee that would that would ever propose this would need more need more time than that. Um, and converting field six at Winslow to soccer only would likely mean the end of the MCSLBA, the Monroe County Senior uh, Baseball League for uh, Bloomington Monroe County um, kids ages 13 and up. And I believe there are other options within the city, um, such as Bryant Park Field Three, Lower Cascades, uh, Alcott Park was mentioned earlier today. Um, now, BFC has mentioned that um, that their goal is to utilize city parks, and Winslow Field 6 is utilized, and there are underutilized fields available. Yeah, I get wanting more fields, um, but let's find a way that won't kill an established league. Um, this shouldn't be a youth sport versus youth sport situation. I work for a rural electric cooperative, and one of our founding principles is cooperation among cooperatives, and I'd like to see that principle extended here to where uh, MCSLBA, BJLBA are pulled into the conversation to find a reasonable solution for everyone. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Board member Kathleen Mills thanked all parents for voicing their concerns and said the Parks Department will further consider finding a balance during a work session. The Bloomington Board of Parks Commissioners will have their next meeting on May 14th. Tomorrow marks primary election day. Local voters will have a chance to select the nominees for city council, city clerk, and Bloomington mayor. In today's feature report, we hear Big Talk host Michael Glab speak with all three of the candidates running for mayor of Bloomington. You will hear brief portions of interviews from Bloomington mayoral candidates Susan Sandberg, Carrie Thompson, and Don Griffin, respectively. Candidate Susan Sandberg currently holds a position on Bloomington City Council. Carrie Thompson was the former CEO of Habitat for Humanity in Monroe County. Right now, she's the executive director of IU Center for Rural Engagement. Don Griffin was deputy mayor for the city of Bloomington from March 2021 until December of 2022. He also owns Griffin Realty. Stay tuned to hear Michael Glab ask each candidate why they're running for mayor, and discover what issues matter most to them. To listen to the full 30-minute interviews from each candidate, visit WFHB.org. Why in God's name do you want to be the mayor? I want to be mayor because, first and foremost, I love Bloomington. I've loved Bloomington ever since I came here as an undergraduate, Indiana University. Uh, I am a graduate. This is my city of choice. I love Bloomington, and I particularly am uh, attracted to public service. You know, there's the private sector, there's the nonprofit sector, but I love being a representative on the city council. This is my 17th year, 16 years, um, and this is my 17th 
19th serving on this council. And I am very confident that I have the experience, the historical knowledge, and the um, wherewithal to rise to the next challenge and run for mayor. Well, I've got to say this. There's, there are a number of problems this city faces, as any city in, in the world. But uh, we know what Bloomington's problems are. And as mayor, people are going to expect you to fix them. <laughs> That's right. And of course, the buck does stop at the top many times in at least addressing some of the challenges we have. Foremost in my platform, I've worked with a very good team where we're developing our strategies, uh, as it were, on what we will like to tackle. Affordability is a huge problem, not only with our housing, cost of housing in the community, but the cost of everything. I had uh, issued a report back in 2019 called Working Hard, Falling Behind, in which we took a look at how how difficult it is sometimes on the salaries that are paid here in this community to afford things here in Bloomington. So affordability, big part of my platform. What can the mayor do about that? Well, we have zoning codes that we have certainly spent many, many years changing. Uh, the UDO, I think most people are familiar with our Unified Development Ordinance that uh, sets the tone and sets the parameters on what can be built and where and how. I do believe some of that can be tweaked to maybe move us in a better direction with affordability. Um, but um, just, again, partnerships with other community partners is a big part of what I will do as mayor. The city of Bloomington can't do it alone. We've got to have regional help. We've got to have state help. We've got to have federal help. We have to uh, work across many aisles, as it were, to work with the people who have solutions to some of these problems related to affordability, housing in particular. Would you be good enough to tell me who some of those community partners might be? What are we talking about when we say that? We're talking about the county, for one. I think our relationships with our county colleagues have been probably strained, to say the least. And I feel confident in my ability. I know many of them who are uh, in county positions, our commissioners and members of the county council. We need to sit down with them and have a better understanding as to what we can do to tweak and change and, and and, and make things easier for people who actually are in the business of providing affordable housing to come in and do that. State assistance, anytime we get any help, housing has got to have subsidy in order to be affordable. Huh. I can't expect the free market to, to provide us with affordable housing. That's not in their DNA, as it were. We've so, seen a bit of a free market effect in this town, mm -hmm. at least since I've arrived, which was 2009. It was a little bit different back then. It's a little bit different now. Mm -hmm. And that market has created these, uh, a lot of these gigantic yeah, structures. The five and four over ones that are yeah, going up. Yeah. And many people in the community are not particularly um, happy about that. And in my humble opinion, of course, I've been on the council for a while and I've been part of the zoning, you know, the changes to the UDO that um, put some emphasis on density. That was uh -huh. a big controversy during the whole UDO. And density is in some people's minds, a way to achieve affordability. In my opinion, I think we're going at it a little bit wrong. I don't think we have the formula quite right when it comes to some of the mechanisms that the city has in order to try to get some of these units in these big high-rise apartment complexes to be workforce affordable housing. 
the city is somewhat constrained by the fact that we can't do inclusionary zoning. It's, it's the state prohibits us from requiring anyone from the private sector who's building housing to do anything with re- with relationship to making their rents lower. We can induce. We them, can though. encourage them through yeah. incentives. I happen to think our incentives are not quite right. Uh-huh. We need to tweak them. Right now, we've got some checkoff boxes. Like if you want to add an additional floor so that you can make a little more money. You've got to check off the sustainability box. And now you also have to check off the affordability box. You have to allow some units in your development to be less expensive than your private rates. That's maybe the best tool that we thought we had at the time we were tweaking the UDO, but uh, it's it's not hitting the mark for me. I think we need to be more aggressive about working with companies that actually do do affordable housing, that know how to leverage the federal tax dollars, that have the wherewithal. And and actually build apartments that are built to be affordable. Now, they they require subsidy, in my humble opinion. You've yeah. got to have additional funding because the cost of housing is expensive. You know, supply chain issues, everything's going up, up, up. It's hard to build anything this day and age that you could charge a, you know, less than market rate for. Kerry, what are your thoughts about this being a one-party town? Being a one-party town means that uh, we differentiate ourselves in the primary season. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that uh, there won't be a Republican or independent contender. In fact, we we hear there may be an independent contender. And the Republican Party also can caucus in a candidate should they so desire under state law. Yes, until July we the the race is still open, but lots of things do get decided here in May and um so this democratic nomination really is very important. Now back in November of 2022, two-term mayor John Hamilton announced that he wasn't running for a third term. John Hamilton faced quite a number of challenges here and continues to face them as he holds the office until January 1st, I believe, uh, is when the inauguration will be. Why the heck do you want to get into that morass of problems? (laughs) Well, you know... That is the question that uh, that most people ask. Why on earth do you want to be mayor? And the answer really for me is very simple. What we're doing is not working. It's very clear. Our government is not functioning well. Um, the city is not talking to the county. The city is not talking to IU. We have a growing number of challenges, which are really, frankly, only compounded by the fact that we're not collaborating very well um, with our partners. And I'm a person who has, you know, long been an on-the-ground collaboration builder. I I work alongside people to really create vision that we can all move towards together. And I have a history of bringing people together, um, frequently people who don't, uh, at the surface, agree with one another, to to work towards tangible change. Bloomington's really a great city, and our city government should be great too. Well. Let's talk a little bit about some of that history. Uh, right now, you continue to be the executive director of the uh, Indiana University Center for Rural Engagement, which is, I suppose, the reason why you go gallivanting around the state a lot. <laughs> 
it is a reason that I go gallivanting around the state. Um, the center was started five years ago with a vision to partner with communities um, to work with um, community leaders, whether they're ordained or elected officials or not, um, to help them achieve their visions and solve their problems by leveraging their assets. And we started with just an 11 county area, and we now are in 54 different counties. And we have engaged more than 30,000 Hoosiers in just five years with our work. Now, you've been over at the Center for Rural Engagement since uh, about May 2018. Before that, for about 20 years, you were the CEO of Habitat for Humanity. Yes, I was the CEO of Habitat for Humanity. I'm very proud to still be a volunteer with Habitat. Um, I I started volunteering with Habitat uh, when I was a freshman in high school. Really, Habitat when I when I came to Bloomington, um, Habitat really was um, mostly volunteer run and building about a house a year. And um, by the time I left, uh, Habitat was really a very sophisticated community development organization. And we were we were able to house a lot of families and um, and really contribute to the tax base, but also make tangible progress on um, on partnering with families who were seeking to end generational poverty. Yeah. So, you know, I really believe that leadership is about working with people um, and then and so that you really know uh, what the problems and what the assets are um, in any community that you're working with, and then equipping leaders at all levels uh, to do their job and and do it well. And um, so I was able to do that with Habitat. Lots of people may think Habitat's kind of a, a nice little nonprofit. When I took Habitat on as the CEO, it was $40,000 in debt. And by the time I left, we had a $6 million mortgage portfolio and a couple hundred thousand dollars a year of uh, donations receivable. Were you instrumental in raising money? I was indeed. Yes. Um, you can't build houses uh, and build neighborhoods without money. It's incredibly capital intensive. Yeah. And that also means that I know what it takes to house our community. Um, it's not theoretical for me. I'm not just pushing paper on transactions. Um, I know what it takes to take something from an idea to a neighborhood. Um, I know what it takes to um, work with a family who has never had a mortgage and do financing education and all kinds of other education um, to help them be successful homeowners. You know, even during the mortgage crash in 2009, we had a 0% foreclosure rate and we were lending money to people who had less money than most of the people who were having their mortgages fail. Does this say something about the people themselves or does it say more about you? I think it says a lot about the collaboration and about what kinds of successes can be built um, when you believe in people and equip them with the right tools to succeed. Now, let me ask you this question, the same question I've asked the other two candidates, and it's along those same lines. Why in God's name would you want to be the mayor of this town with all the problems, with all the people who get mad at you? I love this community. I I think our best years are ahead of us. I've lived here for all 52 years of my life, uh, and I hope to live here for the next 50 years. And uh, this is an opportunity to take our community forward. You know, it's kind of like uh, my dad's a minister, and he talks about when he became a minister, he talks about a calling that it wasn't something that he 
necessarily uh, wanted to do, uh, but it was something that he was called to do. And I kind of feel like if not me, then then who? Very few people have had the opportunity to uh, experience Bloomington in the ways that I've experienced it. I've experienced it as a child going through uh, uh, the MCCSC uh, system. Uh, I, I met my wife here. I've been a young adult here. I start. I, I started my only job I've ever had at 21 years old uh, was a, a real estate uh, agent, and so I, I later on became a a company owner, a, a uh, the, the probably the largest uh, African American owned company in Bloomington. And then I had an opportunity to uh, run the city. Be the, the be the deputy mayor for the last uh, almost two years, and so I'm well equipped, and I can see Bloomington uh, through all different sides, and uh, and I think I can represent a, a lot of different uh, a lot of different people, uh, and I just want to push us forward. I think uh, uh, together uh, we can be the best community in the entire country. That's my goal. Now, what does the deputy mayor of Bloomington do? A lot of people, it surprises me how many people don't understand that. Right. So the deputy mayor is appointed by the mayor to run the city. Uh, there are 16 different departments, police department, fire department, legal, hand, uh, the BT transit, um, on and on and on, uh, all parking enforcement. Uh, every single department head reports to the deputy mayor. Hmm. So that's one of the jobs that that uh, that that he's responsible for. Being on the a team that decides what direction we go in. That's another thing. So so budgeting, uh, negotiating the contracts with the union, you're in charge of that. Uh, it, it is a job that never ends. You are um I mean my gosh, you're you're also the Mayor, when the mayor is out of town, uh-huh. so um, you know I've been I've been acting mayor dozens of times, so it, it's it's a lot of responsibility. I, I think in two years I took off six days. So you've got your hands, your eyes, your ears mm-hmm. in every single aspect of the city as the deputy mayor. As the deputy mayor, absolutely. It's so my- you know. What the heck you're stepping into? Yes, I do. And it's a lot. <laughs> and you're still doing it. It is. I, I, I have to question your sanity it almost. Is, <laughs> it's one of those things because, you know, um, yes, you have big plans, right? The, as, as the mayor, the mayor gets to develop big plans, but it's the daily ins and outs that, uh, uh, you know, the best laid plans, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, uh, there are things that happen. I mean, the first uh, within the first month, we had a flood. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, oh, my gosh. So I'm out with boots. I'm d- talking to downtown uh, uh, property owners and uh, restaurants and asking them, what do we do next? How do what can we how can we help you? Uh, pan, you know, we had a pandemic. Uh, uh, so we, we had to figure out how to how to keep the downtown open. I mean, it, it was there's a lot that has to, you know, uh, gas leaks. I mean, there you have to look at it as every problem being an opportunity to make things better. Interestingly, though, if I may, uh, Don Griffin Jr., when you're the mayor, when you're the deputy mayor, whenever you're in charge, Mm -hmm. everybody blames you for whatever. If there there was a heavy snowfall, it's your fault. Yes, yes, yes. So so and what you have to keep telling yourself, because you at the end, you you do you you have to rely on so many different people. You have to remember you're surrounded by uh, very intelligent people. 
who are experts in their fields. But at the end of the day, uh, the fire chief is calling you, asking you, so I've got this problem. What do you do? The police uh, also, what, what, you know, what, what should, how should we go? What direction you should go in? And you have to be willing to make hard choices. You tell yourself constantly, leadership is lonely. Right. Uh, because everyone's not going to be happy with the decision that you have that that you make. You're almost guaranteed to make people unhappy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but you have to be willing to put yourself out on the line and say, "This is what's best for the community." And and yes, you're you're you you have to have a thick skin and know that you know that that uh, that all your decisions are not going to be liked by everyone. But you have to look. And sometimes the decisions you make are not necessarily the decisions that you would part that would that would benefit you personally the best. You have to think about who who does this, you know, how is this affecting the general population and go for it. In this episode of Activate. Court-appointed special advocates, or CASA volunteer Dan Cates, talks about the urgent need for local people to stand up for kids who are going through the justice system due to abuse or neglect. This segment is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected@bloomington.in.gov. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Dan Cates. I'm a volunteer with the Court Appointed Special Advocates. Our agency is known as CASA. Court Appointed Special Advocates volunteer to assist children who have been uh, identified as being children who might have been uh, neglected or abused. So these are cases that have been uh, founded, meaning there has been some degree of neglect or abuse in the home, and then they have been referred to the court system. The CASA volunteers represent the voice of the child in those court proceedings. So every student and every child who is you know, brought to the CASA agency has been designated by government agencies as being a child in need of services, and CASA volunteers speak as the voice of the child. The CASA movement was actually begun uh, by an attorney who recognized that parents were represented by their own legal counsel. Many times, uh, in our cases, those are uh, public defenders. And there's a robust public defender system here. Uh, CASA works very close with the public defenders. But the CASAs were needed to represent the interests of the child. So even in a situation where a parent, a mother might have a public defender and a father might have a public defender, there was no one representing the interests and welfare of the child in the court proceedings. So there was a movement to have volunteers simply represent the interests of the child. And that's what we do as CASAs. So cases get to the courts uh, commonly associated with some degree of, you know, hardship that has occurred within a family. 
Many of our cases are uh, involving domestic violence. Many involve uh, uh, drug abuse or substance use disorder. You know, none of us are, are perfect, and uh, every one of us requires some degree of support or redemption or some degree of being uplifted. And uh, when we can assist people get into systems of support, that can often make the difference. So at CASA, we can always use new volunteers. While it might seem like a person needs to have some sort of advanced training or you know, be a social worker or a lawyer or something, that is not the case at all. What we need is caring people who are willing to stand up to get to know children, to get to know families, to get to know parents, so that we can speak knowingly in a court proceeding about what we think is in the welfare of kids. This is a very common low-pressure family court, and uh, the more real that people can be, the better it is on behalf of children. If you have interest in being involved with the CASA organization, we could really use more volunteers. And so there is a training that's coming up. It's going to begin on May 22nd. Uh, we'd like to have applications in by May 12th. And uh, right now we have about just slightly over 100 volunteers. And last year we served 280 children. We have 10 children on our waiting list. And while some people have taken more than one family, uh, we really like to uh, invite more volunteers to participate. Unfortunately, the needs do not subside and uh, we really could use more volunteers. It is a wonderful, enriching experience and uh, we would love to have more people at our training. Again, that'll be on uh, May 22nd and it'll be conducted at the CASA office. So when you go to the Monroe County CASA website, it's monroecountycasa.org, there's a lot of helpful information on there about how you can become involved directly or how you could donate. You can visit monroecountycasa.org. Again, I'm Dan Cates, a CASA volunteer, and at CASA, we are for the children. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org.